You're listening to an episode of the Rooted Project podcast, helping you root yourself in a biblical worldview. Let's get into this episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Rooted Project podcast, helping you root yourself in a biblical worldview. My name is Josiah. My name is Sai. Uh, That's what my friends call me. I don't know why I felt like saying my name twice, but I did. Uh, We are continuing our walk through 1 Thessalonians. Today we're looking at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, the famous rapture passage. Um, if you uh, want to get caught up, I know I was kind of bad about like posting everything in the right places. Uh, I was recording a decent amount of videos, but then not putting them in the right spot. So they are should be all on the Rooted Project pod, no, just the Rooted Project YouTube channel. Uh, I did not do the due diligence of uploading the audio because that was a lot of work and uh, I'm lazy. So, uh, we if you want to get caught up to where we are now, uh, The Rooted Project on YouTube has all of our videos, all of the lessons from, excuse that truck as he goes by, from 1 Thessalonians up until this point. So we're going to take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and uh, we're going to start by reading the text and then we're just going to walk through it. So, starting in verse 13, it says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him with those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, excuse me, And with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we be, thus shall always, sorry, thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Throughout 1 Thessalonians, Paul has emphasized the return of Jesus as as a motivation or as something for the Thessalonians to, to kind of look at as they are living their Christian life. Um, generally, it's also used as a motivation for their own ministry. And this time, he's gonna, uh, Paul is going to take the time to give the ins and outs of what the rapture is actually going to look like and what's going to happen. Uh, Paul declares that the proper course of action for the believers after learning this information. And he exhorts them to comfort each other with their hope in Christ. And that's the first thing that I, that I always think about when we come to this eschatology debate is a lot of times we can get really heated about it. Um, because there are different views, and I, I am pre-trib, pre-mill, but there are a lot of other good men who are not, and people might look down on me for my view, and I, the goal is is not to look down on others. But Paul says at the end of expl- at the end of explaining this, and we always look past this part, is to comfort one another with these words. So, so our goal in understanding eschatology is comfort and hope, and it's action. It's not just head knowledge, but there's an action that comes with knowing eschatology. So, uh, something we need to understand about hope when it's used in the Bible is it's not just a wish. In the 21st century, we've taken uh, that word hope to mean something different than it did then. Now we say hope and it's kind of like, well, I'm not really sure this is going to happen. So, like, I'm a Sixers fan and I say I hope the Sixers don't blow their place in the NBA Eastern Conference so that they can have a good seed in the playoffs and go on to win the championship. And I'm not so sure that's going to happen. And that's what happened. That, that's what I mean when I when I say hope. But for the Bible times, when somebody has a hope, it means to anticipate, uh, usually with pleasure, expectation, or confidence. 
So when we, when we read hope in this passage or talk about hope, um, it's not a wishy-washy, unsure hope. Instead, our hope is a confident expectation based on Scripture, based on special revelation from God that we know is true. So there's really not a lot we can have uh, a confident expectation in today. We're surrounded by lies and, and not untruths all over the place. And that's what, kind of what makes this passage so important, is that, is that it is something that we can truly have and find hope in. Many of us, if not all of us, have experienced what it's like to lose a loved one. And that's, that's actually where Paul starts in this whole rapture passage, is talking about losing a loved one. Um, a lot of us have probably lost loved ones in the last year. Um, I can think of a few people um, just off the top of my head without thinking very hard that uh, I am close to or I have friends who are close to that passed away. Um, and that's a true pain. But because of that pain, it is easy to lose track of the gospel goodness that is present in our lives. And then we can begin living selfishly. Paul here wants the believers, as we've already talked about, to understand how the end is going to happen and therefore live outside of themselves and comfort each other instead of living selfishly. So the first thing that we see Paul wants us uh, to comfort each other is that we must comfort each other with our hope for the dead in Christ. And we see that in verses 13 through 15. Paul starts this paragraph by explaining that he wants the Thessalonians to understand what will happen to their deceased loved one. The KJV and the New King James, which I read out of, says that he doesn't want them to be ignorant. Uh, uh, the ESV says he doesn't want them to be uninformed. So, so we can assume that the Thessalonians did not know what was going to happen to the dead in Christ. It was something that they were unsure about. Um, Paul begins by explaining, and he does this lovingly because he calls them brothers at the beginning, um, what Jesus had told him about those who were dead in Christ for a specific purpose, that they sorrow not. So this is actually a special revelation given from Christ to Paul. This is not something um, that, and that, and that explains why they would have been confused about it because there was no other writings or no other scripture for them to look back on to understand what was going to happen uh, in the rapture. So uh, another thing we notice is that the New Testament commonly uses the word sleep or the phrase asleep um, to mean death. Some people uh, might think that this is just asleep, and um, so those who are like sleeping or, or not really fully dead are the ones that are going to be resurrected. No, this is talking about people who are dead. Um, we see this a bunch of times throughout Scripture. Um, Mark five uh, talks about the story of Jairus and his daughter, um, and Jesus goes and raises his daughter from the dead. But when he arrives, he proclaims that proclaims that the little girl is only asleep, and then raises from the dead. Um, in John eleven. Uh, 11, Jesus says a similar thing in the case of Lazarus, Lazarus, and he says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, uh, but I go that I wake him out of his sleep. And remember, he said that, and the disciples are all like, well, isn't it a good thing that he's sleeping? Like, he, sleeping is good. That's what he's supposed to do. But he, they didn't understand because he was actually talking, he was metaphorically speaking of him being dead. So what do we know about this sleep, especially for believers? Those who sleep in Christ experience only a physical death or sleep. It is the sleep of the physical body on the earth awaiting resurrection, glorification, being made perfect, and reuniting the soul. Uh, when those who are saved die, they go immediately to be with God in heaven. Second Corinthians 5, 8 says, We are confident, and I say rather really, sorry, uh, willing rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So we can claim that verse for ourselves about our loved ones that were saved. 
As soon as they leave this body and pain, they enter into the glorious presence of Jesus Christ to spend eternity with him. Paul places his purpose statement behind this paragraph at the end of verse 13. He does not want the Thessalonians to sorrow like other people who do not have hope. The word sorrow means to distress, to be sad, to grieve, cause grief, and to be in heaviness. Paul is not telling the Thessalonians to not sorrow at all. That concept is something us Americans certainly have developed by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and not really showing emotions or having any emotions, but instead um, trying to look tough. Possibly doesn't say that. He says that he doesn't want them to sorrow as those which have no hope. A Christian sorrow, based on the information he's about to share to the Thessalonians, is a hopeful, joy-filled sorrow, contrasted with the uh, unbeliever's grief, which is only sorrow-filled and has no hope for the future because they do not have Christ. So, without the resurrection, Paul continues this argument, um, talking about the resurrection of Jesus. So, without the resurrection, we have no hope and we have no gospel. At the end of the each, at each of the gospels, Christ's resurrection and appearance is recorded. Acts 1, 1-3 also proclaims Christ's resurrection and life thereafter. He stayed around for 40 days and provided many infallible proofs. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 clearly lays out that the gospel uh, and states the resurrection needed to happen because the scripture said it would. Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross for your sins, and then rose again on the third day, defeating death. And he's coming back to retrieve those that believe in him. Jesus' resur Jesus resurrection provides hope for believers and their resurrection. Um, and uh, the reason I mention that is because verse 14, this is where Paul is basing his argument. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So based on this historical fact of Jesus' resur Jesus resurrection, the Th Thessalonians have hoped that their loved ones will be resurrected in the same way. The phrase even so carries the idea of in the same manner as. So if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same manner as that, those that sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Paul declares the authority for this statement that he's making, because remember, this is something new. This is something that a lot of people heard. He just declares the authority of the word of the Lord, not himself. Um, and he says at the, beginning, at the beginning of verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Paul doesn't make up these statements. Um, that would not provide much hope if he was like, well, you guys feel bad, so I'm just going to uh, say that everything's going to be okay and they're going to rise from the dead. Now, instead, um, he rests the authority of the rapture in the word of the Lord. He proclaims it is absolutely true. This practice still holds true in our lives. We can make up a lot of things to be able to um, justify what we want or find hope or, or different things things that we think will bring us pleasure. But the reality is, excuse me, um, the only time that we will have hope is when we are resting in absolute truth. And absolute truth is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, holy word of God. So when we address any subject, we must address it in light of scripture because we have scripture. Christians must hold everything they believe up to the light of God's word to assess its truth. Next, we see that uh, Christians will be alive when the Lord returns. This fact is clear in this verse. And, um, in verse 15, um, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. And Paul even thinks that he is going to be there. Um, 
uh, we call this the the imminent rapture, or the idea that the rapture will be imminent. And what does imminent mean? Uh, this word means it's about to happen. Paul fully expected to be alive when the rapture takes place. We must as well. We must live like the rapture is always about to happen. Those that are alive in Christ when the Lord returns will not prevent those who are asleep. And again, we see this um, in uh, verse 15. Uh, the New King James says pre- precede. Uh, the King James says prevent. Um, so when Christ returns, those who are alive in Christ will have no priority over the dead in Christ. Matthew Henry um, a biblical scholar from the 1600s says this about the importance of Christ's re- uh, resurrecting the dead first. He says, and I quote, the first care of the Redeemer is that, oh, sorry, the first care of the Redeemer in that day will be about his dead saints. He will raise them before the dead change, before the great change passes on those that shall be found alive, so that those who did not sleep in death will have no greater privilege or joy at that day than those who fell asleep in Jesus. Knowing what happens to our saved one, loved ones is a source of hope. We've probably experienced or know uh, more people that experience loss in this past year than we have noticed before. Like I mentioned, I, have, I can think of a few people, and I'm sure you can also think of a few, a few people who have passed away. Our heart hurts when we think of these people and we miss them. We feel badly and, and we sorrow and we grieve. And that grief is okay. But we need to remember that our grief has a hope. Our grief is is based here on earth and it is temporary because we have a hope in Christ for those loved ones. Not a wishy-washy hope, but a sure hope that they are with Jesus right now and that they will be resurrected. Our loved ones are currently in the presence of Jesus in heaven and someday soon we will be reunited with them. So we can comfort one another as Paul tells us to do in verse 18, at the loss of a loved one because of the promise of their entrance into heaven and coming resurrection. We can also comfort each other because of the hope we have of our future resurrection, whether in death or life. Uh, We must comfort each other with our hope for our own future. And we see this in verses 16 through 18. Verse 16 says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of an archangel, with uh, and with the dead, uh, sorry, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. In verse 16, Paul lays out exactly how the resurrection is going to happen. He first explains that the Lord is going to descend from heaven. Uh, Paul uses similar language to that of the angels at Jesus' resurrection in Acts 1:11, uh, which says, "Which also said, ye men, ye men of Je- uh, Galilee, please excuse me." Uh, why stand ye up gazing into the heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall also come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Jesus, who ascended into heaven after his resurrection, will descend and reunite with his saints, living and dead, in the same way. Next, Paul gives a description of three sounds, the Lord's shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Um, some people try to give specific meaning to each and application to each of these sounds separately. Seems like a bit of a stretch. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says that these three phenomena may um, may all refer to the same thing, but probably they are three separate, almost si- simultaneous announcements heralding Christ's return. Though one's curiosity about the aspects of the rapture is not fully satisfied in this passage, one thing is clear: Christ's return for his saints will be announced from heaven and uh, from heaven forcefully and dramatically. Um, a lot of people say that those who hold to a pre-trib, pre-mill um, rapture 
say that it is a secret rapture. Um, I personally can't think of people that I have heard say that it's going to be a secret because um, I certainly don't think it's going to be secret as obviously it's going to be pretty loud and pretty well known. Um, so moving on, the end of verse 16 parrots uh, what we discussed earlier, that those who are dead in Christ will rise first. And I think it's interesting. I want to take a second and pause and just kind of think about how that's going to happen. How is a dead body that's been dead for thousands of years um, just rise and go to heaven? Wouldn't it just kind of be dust at this point? Like for me, I was thinking well, as I was meditating and thinking on this passage, I was like, that's that actually is kind of weird to think. Like I sometimes I can understand why people might think we're crazy when you think about that idea. Um, but if you take uh, if you are using a Bible, uh, I'm actually going to go over to First Corinthians 15. Um, and read a short section that kind of explains how the process happens. I'm going to start reading in verse 35. Uh, but someday, um, you, uh, sorry, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? So eh, somebody else asked, maybe asked the same question I did. But then Paul says, foolish one, uh, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that the body shall be, but mere gain, uh, grain, perhaps wheat or something, some other grain. And then I'm going to go to drive down to verse 42. That was verse uh, 30. Uh, actually, sorry. Uh, verse 38 says, but God gives a body as he pleases and each seed and to each seed its own body. Then down to verse 42. says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption and is raised in corruption. It is sown in dishonor and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Uh, we're going all the way to verse 44. That was verse 44. So much of the culture of that time of the Thessalonians was agricultural, farming. So Paul uses language here um, uh, that they would understand. Paul explains in these verses that the bodies of the dead believers are like seeds planted in the ground. Before a beautiful flower of food can grow, the seed must die. Then the beautiful flower or useful plant, uh, plant comes out of the ground. The resurrection is not just a restoration. At the, at the resurrection... The resurrected bodies blossom from the seeds placed in the ground and will rise glorified, perfect in every way. So going into verse 17, let me see if I can get back to First uh, Thessalonians here. Going into verse 17, Paul explains that we which are alive in Christ will be caught up in the air with him and the other saints. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 17. It says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the, uh, in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Caught up means to seize, catch, pluck, pull, or take, according to Strong's Greek Dictionary. So this is going to happen fast. Um Another look, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 52, it sheds light on what this catching up catching up looks like. Uh, we don't really have a lot of time to do that right now, but if you want to look on your own, uh, it describes this happening in a moment and in the twinkling of an eye. It illustrates the quickness with which the rapture will happen in the twinkling of an eye. Just like those dead in Christ who receive a glorified body, so will we receive a glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15, again, explains this change for those of us who are alive. Instantaneously, with the trump of God and the rapture, we will change from our earthly, corruptible bodies and put on our new, glorified bodies. 
After laying out all of this detailed information, all the way down to, to verse 17, Paul exhorts the Thessalonians to use everything he's just said to comfort each other. The wherefore can be read similarly, similarly to a therefore, which we've discussed before. It, uh, it essentially calls on the reader to look back on what was just spoken about and then act accordingly. Paul says that because our loved ones are in heaven, because they'll come back with Christ, because we will receive glorified bodies, because we get to reunite with them, and because we get glorified bodies, we must comfort each other. I don't know a lot of people that live this passage out. I was, I was matching at the beginning. A lot of times when it comes to this conversation, we actually just like to argue. We don't actually like to uh, do what it, what Paul tells us to do in verse 18. Um, I, I, I know I certainly don't. I know that uh, the fact of Christ's coming doesn't really make me always live the way that it should. But I can think of one person who I, I, I can say with certainty lived this verse out. And it was actually my great-grandma. Uh, her name was Mabel Markin. Which, I mean, that's a cool name, Mabel Markin. Um, Great grandma grew up in Ohio. She married a uh, preacher and a church planner, and they served alongside uh, of each other for years and years. Eventually, they would have my mom, and then my mom would ha and grandpa would have my mom, and now I'm here, so you're all welcome. We can all say thank you to my great grandmother. Uh, while my great grandfather died before I got to know him, I am thankful that I had uh, received the chance to spend many years with my great grandmother. Um, throughout all of um, year, her ministry, years of trial, having a daughter with polio, and other struggles, the verse she came to in her later years was Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Her encouragement, her hope, was seeing her Savior when he returned to get her. Likewise, our encouragement for ourselves and for others must be the hope we have in Christ and in his return. He's coming back and he told us he is. Our dead loved ones are with him right now as we speak and we have hope in that. If we, uh, if we are alive or if we are dead when he returns, we will spend eternity with him in heaven. I hope that was a comfort to you. I hope that was helpful to you. This was a great passage. I enjoyed studying it out because the rapture is definitely something that either we spend a lot of time worrying about or we don't ever look at at all. So I was really thankful to come across this part in First Thessalonians. Uh, the, the next part we're going to talk about is First uh, Thessalonians 5, uh, 1 through 8. And that actually speaks of the day of the Lord, which is not just a singular day, but it's an age. But we'll get to that. Uh, we are getting close to finishing this book, and that's super great. If you're one of the three people that actually watches these videos and you have a book that you want us to walk through next, comment it below, and I would be happy to walk through that book. I don't do this because I'm smart or because I think I have all the answers, but because I want God's word to be on the internet and I want to be able to give God's word to people who may not necessarily have access to it themselves. So I thank you for watching. I thank you for listening. And I hope that you will um, be able to root yourself in a biblical worldview because that's the point of all of this. See you next time.